are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Right now, um, I'm going to be handing over in a minute to Stuart. As I said, Stuart became an elder last week, so it's great to, be have, uh, to have him uh, teaching us this morning. He's going to be carrying on our series going through the book of Galatians and talking about grace. But first, we're going to hear the Bible reading from Deborah. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law has been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised began being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Thank you, Deborah, for the first part of our reading. Do please reach for a Bible to follow along today. We're going to be delving into the passage throughout. So if you've got it open in front of you, you're going to be able to see the context much better. This is my first time preaching as an elder at Hope Church. But even though I've been appointed as an elder, you still need to check that what I'm saying is from the Bible. If we trust in Jesus, we need to take this book as our authority, just like Jesus did. Before we start, let me say thank you to everyone who made last Sunday possible. It was great to have so many of us meeting together in person. And I really appreciate the support of those who are online as well. Before we turn to the passage, let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word today. Help us to understand your promises and how they fit with your law. Help us to see your promises fulfilled in Jesus today and what it means to be invited into your family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we look at Galatians 3 and 4, it may feel like we've come into the middle of quite a technical argument. But hang in there, there are some great verses to digest as we go along. So Chris has been helping us over recent weeks to explore the book of Galatians. We've been seeing how some in the church in Galatia were turning back to the law in the false hope that it would get them right with God. 
the writer of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, is arguing that they were greatly mistaken. And in these next verses, he explains that we need to go further back in the Bible in order to answer this question, which came first, the law or the promise? Let's turn back the clock hundreds of years before Moses was born to when God spoke directly to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. So in verse 15 of Galatians 3 here, when Paul refers to a human covenant, a modern example might be something like a last will and testament. When someone dies, the will is read out. But those related to the deceased, they can't say, no, 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 I don't think she meant that. I think she really wanted to leave everything to me. It doesn't work like that, does it? What is written is written. And it's similar to God's promise to Abraham. God is unchanging. And when he makes a covenant promise, he will follow through on it. Even when it seems like he made the promise a long, long time ago. So Paul starts his argument with Abraham the father of Israel, to whom he gave a promise. There were various promises made to Abraham in the early chapters of Genesis. And here's one of them, which Paul's going to pick up in the next verse in Galatians. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your seed forever. So there's a promise of land to Abraham's descendants, right back in the 13th chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis. We know that God delivered on that, the land known today as Israel. But God indicates at the end of this verse that his promise is to your seed forever. And that suggests more than just a bit of land. So let's return to Galatians 3 to see how Paul interprets this promise from Genesis 13. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So the promise was originally to Abraham, but it was to be fulfilled in the seed, singular. And Paul identifies this seed as Jesus Christ. So let's add Jesus as the second person in Paul's argument. Abraham, Jesus. We've got Abraham on the left and Jesus on the right. Let's fill in the gap in this simple timeline. Who comes in the middle? Well, if you look at the first chapter of the New Testament, you can see Matthew carefully tracing Abraham's descendants all the way through to David, then to the exile in Babylon, and finally through to Jesus. Jesus was eventually the seed of Abraham. He completed the biological line. Check out Matthew chapter one if you want to see it for yourself. Okay, you might say, but I thought we'd been talking about the law in Galatians. Where does that come into all of this? Well, Paul explains, <clears throat> verse 17. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not have set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. The 430 years in this verse refers to the time in Egypt in Canaan 
You can see that in Exodus 12, verse 40. Paul's point is that the promise came first to Abraham and also last to Jesus. And then the law was inserted into the middle, given to Moses. But it wasn't the foundational covenant between God and man. Let's add Moses then into our sequence. Abraham, Moses, and then Jesus. You might say, well, why is this important? Well, it establishes the primary way in which God chooses to relate to his people through promises of grace. Centuries before the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, God met with Abraham and said something like this. Hey, Abraham, this is just a paraphrase in case you're wondering. This land will be for you and your descendants. Don't worry that this land is full of people more powerful than you, just trust in me. Your people will be more numerous than the stars. Don't worry that you and your wife Sarah are too old to have children, just trust, I will give you a son. None of this comes because of your efforts. I have chosen you, Abraham, just trust in me. God's promises have the first word via Abraham. And after that, Moses brings the law a long time later. And the law has a purpose, as we'll see later. But then God's promises also have the last word in Jesus. We are put right with God through trusting in his promises, not by obeying his law. And that raises another good question. Why was the law given at all? So let's look at verse 19. Paul says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So Paul has already explained in verse 16 that the seed is actually Jesus. So Paul seems to be describing the law as having a temporary purpose from the time between Moses and Jesus. But what was that purpose? Why couldn't God's people just rely on the promise given to Abraham? Well, Paul says it here, it was added because of transgressions, because God's people kept turning away from God. The law's purpose was to show us to be sinners. And Paul makes this even clearer in the book of Romans, Romans chapter three. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. So God wanted to relate to us through promises. But his people kept forgetting the promises and doing things in their own strength. So God sent Moses to give them the law, which showed that they were never going to satisfy God through their own efforts. So God sent his son, Jesus, Abraham's ultimate seed, to fulfill the promise and to call us back to God. Let's return to Galatians 3. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Although he's not named here, the mediator in these verses is clearly Moses, the man who mediated between God and man. He went up Mount Sinai, he met God face to face, he brought down the law to the people of God, he mediated. So we've had three key Bible characters mentioned in this passage. Let's sum them up along with the essence of their messages. Abraham, the man of faith. Moses, the mediator. Jesus, the seed. Abraham came and, and said, trust in God. 
Um, Moses brought the law, don't rely on your own efforts. And Jesus said, follow me. Paul goes on to reiterate that the law and God's promises were not opposing forces. They were both calling us in different ways to trust in the grace of God. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So we might be tempted to think, perhaps, that the law was God's plan B, when he found that his people weren't very good at trusting him. But it was really just to emphasize God's plan A, which was trust in his promises. Even Moses knew that God's people would fail to follow the law. Here's what Moses said shortly before he died to God's assembled people in Deuteronomy. I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. So even Moses knew that the law wasn't the answer. But Jesus, rather than discarding the law, clearly stated that he's the only one who has ever fully obeyed God's law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, we see in Matthew 5. Let's go back to our three key characters. Abraham, the man of faith, Moses, the mediator, and Jesus the seed. So Abraham brings God's plan A, which is essentially trusting God. Moses then brings another angle to plan A, don't rely on your own efforts, which is just another way of saying trusting God. It's not a plan B. The law proves that we really need God's promise because we need his perfect grace, not our own imperfect efforts. And then Jesus brings the fulfillment of plan A, which is to follow him. And that's another way of saying trusting God is all plan A. And just in case we find the rules preferable to the promise, Paul sets out some stark analogies for what it's like to be under the law in verse 23 of Galatians 3. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law is like a prison, a burden from which we long to break free. And then he says, verse 24, so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we no longer, we are no longer under a guardian. Another analogy for the law here is that it was like a disciplinarian. A modern equivalent might be, say, a factory supervisor who's there to make sure that the workers assemble the products correctly and ready to step in with a reprimand when they're slacking off. Or another analogy might be a, a policeman with a speed gun. He'll ignore you if you're obeying the speed limit, but if you're going too fast, he'll catch you and give you a penalty. And that's what the law's like. So the thrust of Paul's argument in these verses is that God wants to relate to us through his promises. He wants a relationship rather than a contract. Now, a few months ago, we welcomed James to join us here in our household as our lodger. And when Jean and I met up with him earlier in the summer, 
we firstly wanted to get to know him. We wanted to know if he would become part of our family, embracing our values. We didn't sit him down with a contract and say, ah, oh, good morning, Mr. Abbott, please read through this extensive list of rules and sign here at the bottom if you agree to abide by them. No, day-to-day -day living together is gonna to be much more positive for everyone if we develop a good relationship instead of relying on our watertight legal contract. That's how God wants to relate to us, through trust and love, rather through, than through duty or obligation. Okay, you're gonna have a break from my voice now to listen to a song, and then Deborah will bring the second part of the reading. The song is called By Faith, and you might be familiar with it. If you know it, do feel free to join in, but try to follow the words carefully. They talk about Christians being children of the promise. At Hope Church, we hold on to God's promises as our hope. And the idea of being children of God will be important in the second reading, which will follow straight on after the song. So as you listen to the reading, listen out particularly for anything to do with being children of God. We see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight Our Father's room the earth With the power of His promise in their hearts Of a holy city built by God's own hand A place where peace and justice reign We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him Our soul's reward Till the race is finished And the work is done We'll walk by faith and not by sight The prophets were a day when the longed for Messiah would appear. How to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the The church was called to go In the power of the Spirit to the lost To deliver captives and to preach good news In every corner of the earth 
these mountains shall be moved And the power of the gospel shall prevail For we know in Christ all things are possible Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Welcome back. As we heard in the chorus of the song, those who trust in Jesus are children of the promise. And as the passage explained, we are children of God. If you're trusting in God rather than your own efforts, then this changes everything in life. Let's carry on with Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have, been clo have clothed yourself with Christ. This is the crucial difference for you if you follow Jesus. Through faith in him, you can be children of God. Now a better translation is sons of God, even if you're a woman. It's an important distinction because in the culture that Paul is writing into, sonship in particular brings the right of inheritance. Paul says, you are all sons of God through faith. And he emphasizes how inclusive this is in the next verse. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' day, you would only belong if you were a Jew and not a Gentile. You would only have rights if you were free and not a slave. And you would only receive an inheritance if you were male and not female. But in Christ, we are all one. It is not that there is no longer any racial, gender or social differences. It's just that in God's eyes, none of us is any more or less favoured than any other. Our society today is no less divided than it was in Paul's day. Perhaps if he were writing this verse in 2020, he might emphasise these ways that our culture discriminates in order to contrast with how God bestows value equally on every person. He might say, there is neither white-skinned nor dark-skinned, neither disabled nor able-bodied, neither straight nor attracted to others of your own sex, neither well-educated nor poorly educated, neither wealthy nor in debt, neither of good mind nor struggling with your mental health. The list could go on, couldn't it? Again, it's not that these things don't make a difference for us. Of course, they have an impact on our lives and on how other people treat us. But crucially, they don't matter one bit when it comes to the value that God places upon us. If you have clothed yourself with Christ, then he gives you immeasurable value in the Father's eyes. However others may look down on you, God looks at you and sees the perfection of Jesus. Whatever you may think about yourself when you look in the mirror, God sees you as his son or daughter. Do you doubt your own value? Come to Jesus, clothe yourself with his perfection, trust in him. Let the Father look down upon you with pleasure. Do these verses speak to you? Do they awaken a hunger to know that you are adopted into the family of God? How do you receive this sonship from the God of the universe? Well, the three answers are right here in these verses. You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So three points. Firstly, faith. Trust in the promises of God. Secondly, be baptised into Christ. The act of baptism in water is a picture of a spiritual act that every Christian has gone through. The person goes down under the water. This is a picture of death, of letting go of my own righteousness. I've tried following the law and I recognise I'm never going to please God that way. But it doesn't end there. The person comes back up out of the water to a new life. It's being born again into a life of trusting in Jesus. And then thirdly in these verses, clothe yourself with Christ. When we become Christians, we spiritually dress ourselves in Jesus' perfect goodness. Every day we remind ourselves that we are following Jesus and that we are God's sons, not by any virtue of our own. We are clothed in the perfection of the one who fulfilled God's law on our behalf. So tell us more, Paul, about what it means to belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This verse links us right into the history of the Bible. 
Do you remember earlier, we looked at how God made extravagant promises to Abraham, promises of land, of establishing a nation. Well, if we belong to Christ, then Paul is saying here that we come to inherit these promises. We become heirs of all the wonderful promises God has been making right from the beginning. This was God's plan A, and every one of us can be part of it. We take our place in history as heirs of the promises made to Abraham. Chapter four, verse one. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. The point Paul is making here is that under the law, we're like a child who's due to inherit a great estate, but the child is underage and can't get his hands on it yet. Remember the promises to Abraham, Abraham hadn't gone away. They came before Moses and the law, but when Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, that was like this, when this child comes of age, he can get his hands on all the riches. Let's carry on. But when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. What a great summary of the good news of the Bible in just two verses. The set time had fully come. God's people had been waiting for the fulfilment of the promises made to Abraham. The law had made them realize their need for God. So the father sent his son Jesus down to earth to redeem us, to rescue us. Now, last Monday was my wife Jean's birthday. And a few weeks earlier, I had inadvertently arranged a work meeting on the evening of her birthday. I messed up. My decision had revealed that I'd not been giving her the consideration she deserved. So I tried to do what I could to patch things up. We agreed to go out for lunch instead of going out in the evening. I even invited Jean to my work conference that evening. She was very gracious and she came and she sat through it. But I couldn't undo the fact that I'd disregarded the importance of my wife's birthday. And that's what the law does for our relationship with God. It reveals how much we disregard God, how we have ignored him, sidelined him and disobeyed him. No amount of trying to patch things up with God will put right our relationship with him. With my wife, Jean, the only thing that would redeem our relationship was her grace towards me. She agreed to go out for lunch on her birthday instead. Likewise with God, we need God's grace towards us. Of course, it is good to confess our sins to God and to seek to live according to the Bible, but fundamentally, we need a redeemer. But Jesus offers us more than that. He redeemed us, look at verse five, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, adoption in Roman times was a legal process that would normally be granted to an adult male and would bring him the right of inheritance. In our final verses, let's look more closely at what that, mean, that means for us to be adopted as sons of God. Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's use this table you can see here to compare the status of a slave with that of a son. If we come to God seeking his favour through our own efforts, then we present ourselves as a slave under his law. But if we come as his son under promise, everything changes. So firstly, privileges. As a slave, any privileges are earned. Throughout the Old Testament, story after story shows God's people failing to adhere to God's law. By contrast, as sons of God, the privileges of being his people are simply received. We receive his favour, his forgiveness, his Holy Spirit and so on. Privileges as a child are simply received. We don't have to earn them. Secondly, obligations. As a slave to the law, it's your duty to obey. That's paramount. The basis of your ongoing relationship with your master is on your performance. Otherwise you will be punished or rejected. Not so as a son, as God's children, we want to obey him as a response to his love for us. His love and his favour is no longer dependent upon us carrying out and obeying his commands. So our obedience, imperfect though it is, is a symptom of our willing response to him. An obligation is the wrong word now. It's more like a family code. This is how we behave because of who we are. And that's a much less stressful and more joyful way to relate to God. Thirdly, inheritance. A slave gets board and lodging, but nothing more is promised. However, a son is an heir to God's inheritance. And that begins now with receiving God's Holy Spirit within us, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, in our hearts. But a far greater inheritance awaits us in the life to come. What a wonderful contrast it is to be able to relate to the King of all creation as sons. So whoever you are, male or female, if you trust in Jesus, then you can receive the privileges and inheritance that is due to a son. His favour no longer rests upon you fulfilling any obligations. You are free now to obey him out of love instead of duty. What a wonderful position to be in. As we, as we close now, let's pray into some of these tremendous truths from the book of Galatians. Father God, we thank you that you want to relate to us through your promise, through grace and not through law. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who came as the ultimate fulfilment of the promises you gave to Abraham. When we look at the law, may it remind us of our need for your grace. And we thank you that for those of us who trust in Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of God. And as sons of God, we receive the privileges of belonging to God's family. You give us the desire and increasingly the ability to align our lives with your will. And we embrace the inheritance that comes to the sons of God. We welcome the Holy Spirit within us. And we look forward eagerly to the life to come when our inheritance will be revealed in all its glorious fullness. Thank you, Lord, for all these wonderful truths. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're meeting online every Sunday at 10 a.m. 
Head to hopechurchguildford.com for more information. We look forward to seeing you.